This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, life questions, whatever's going through your heart and mind, I'll do the best I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. We'd love your calls. Hey, because it's Wednesday tonight, I'm going to be teaching... Uh, actually, the second study in Genesis chapter 15. You can watch it at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock, or you can join us live. Uh, and then, because um, tomorrow will be Thursday, you know what that means. It's a date day edition. Paula will be live in studio, and um, she'll be here to take your questions, encourage you ladies, whatever is on your heart. You can call tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Well, let me get to some questions that have been sent in. And then we'll go from there. Uh, this is from our email inbox from Scott. He said, please elaborate on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. What is a practical application of that today? Uh, I can't do it with just one verse, Scott, because um, you, you really need the context here. Uh, Paul is talking about our Christian experience. Um, you know, he talks about running, he talks about fighting, he talks about competing. And we go back to verse 24 in 1 Corinthians 9. And by the way, I'm going to be teaching in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to do 2 Timothy starting this week. And then when we get done with 2 Timothy on Sundays, I'm going to be doing 1 Corinthians. I love teaching this book. Um, he, Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, and here's the application, Scott, then and now. Paul speaking in the first person. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that if after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What Paul is saying is simply this. Every day has purpose. Every day he has the specific intent. I'm going to get up. I'm going to serve the Lord. He's got a plan. He knows what his calling is. He's the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, he knows his target. And he's going to run his race in such a way that he's going to win the prize. The prize, of course, in Paul's case, is the souls of men. And he says, what I don't want to do is run around like a chicken with my head cut off. I don't want to fight like somebody who's just punching air. No, I want to run my race in such a way that I can finish well. And he says the result of that is, he says, I beat my body. And this is the verse you asked about, Scott. I beat my body and make it my slave. So after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I'm going to be as practical as you can possibly be, Scott. What Paul means is that he gets up every day with the specific intent of saying no to himself, 
no to his flesh so that he can say yes to God. It's that simple. I beat my body every day. You know, Scott, and this is more about me than you need to know, but but I do a series of exercises where I'm, uh, you know, counting down. It's an exercise called motivators. And there are numbers, like the number six, where um, I say, I um, beat my flesh, beat my flesh. I have to say no to my flesh every day. I have a friend, Pastor Damien Kyle, out of Modesto, California. He's really funny without trying to be. They're the funniest ones. And he says he gets up in the morning, he looks in the mirror, and then he just shouts, No! Well, that's what Paul is saying. If we're going to run our race in a meaningful way, if we're going to run to win, if we're going to fight to win, then it requires us saying no to us so that we can say yes to Jesus. You can't indulge the flesh. Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you will not give in to the lust of the flesh. That's the practical application of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Thank you for the question, Scott. You always ask good ones. Let me go to Lucy on line one from San Antonio. Lucy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? Lucy, I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I have been thinking about something. Um, We, some of us, have family members that are living together with another couple or you know the couple is living together but they have not been married officially by a justice of the peace or let alone the church Um, and they say well we're not living in sin we are married by um, what's common law marriage and how do I respond to that because Of course, they need Jesus in their life to be living out of sin. Um, And if they're not, how can I respond to that uh, question of, well, we're living according to the law, if it's common law, because that's what is acceptable these days. But I personally don't agree with it. Yeah, Lucy, not only are they not living by the law, they're living by the law of 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 the flesh, the law of mankind. I've got a couple of things. Now, I've had a lot of people say that to me. And I ask them, do you know that common law was designed to protect the woman from an unfaithful man, a man who wanted to use her and abuse her, and then go away and do it again with somebody else? A common law marriage was a, a tool of the law to make sure that a woman wouldn't be left all alone by children. That's, that's, that's the genesis of it, and it's that simple. So I always ask the question, so why is it you don't want to get married? And they never have a good answer. Well, you know, it's just a piece of paper, and I tell the wife or the, or the, the, the woman in the relationship that if, if he treats a marriage license now like just a piece of paper, He's going to treat it the same way, like just a piece of paper, even if you were to get married. And I, I want I ask him, what, what what about the commitment are you afraid of? And, and there's usually bunches of reasons that they have, but they're all carnal and they're no good. Now, here's the real problem, Lucy. And, and when I, I engage them in that conversation, because I want to tell them, I want to give them the opportunity to share Jesus with them. Now, I know anybody, uh, because I know you, Lucy, I know that anybody who knows you is going to hear about Jesus. But here's what they got to understand. You can go to Galatians chapter 5 or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you can read to them that fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what you're doing. You're fornicating because you're married. Um, uh, you're not married in the eyes of the law. You certainly aren't married in the eyes of God. And if you claim to love this woman or if you claim to love this man, why would you put them in that position where you won't inherit the kingdom of God? And then I just explained to them how they need Jesus, how Jesus died for their sins. And you know the rest of the gospel, Lucy, for sure. But what I want them to do is to be honest enough to admit that they're really not born-again believers. And a lot of times when somebody will say to me, well, well, uh, you know, uh, we'll go down that road and they'll say, well, well, I'm a Christian. And I'll say, but Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. 
And there's a day coming where Jesus will look at you and say, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I tell you to do? And usually, Lucy, we're not going to convert people like that. But at least what we do is we plant a seed that the Holy Spirit can water. And I think we've got to understand that that's the way of the world. Paul and I, we lived together. Um, we had all kinds of good reasons for it. Um, but the truth is we both knew it was wrong. Uh, then we got married. God was gracious to us. He gave us a baby. And when that first baby was coming, we just knew that we had to do it right. But you see, when Paula got saved, everything changed. And I just tell your family members that if you knew Jesus, you would love one another, you would respect one another, and you'd be obedient to God. So, Lucy, that's all I can offer. This is a matter of willful disobedience, rebellion against God. It's not rebellion against you. It's just a simple matter of they don't want to stop sleeping together. They don't want to stop having sex. They want the benefits of marriage without the commitment of marriage. And our only responsibility is to, to let them know that that's not the way of God at all. And if you live like this, you're going to be one of those people that Jesus says, depart from me for I never knew you. And that's the real tragedy, Lucy, is people don't realize that, well, well, we're a modern couple. We believe this or we believe that. Yeah, but, but God is not. He's the ancient of days. God doesn't worry about modern. God doesn't worry about changing morals. God says, here's my law. Do it. So, Lucy, thanks, and I know you're praying for him as well. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, what are your thoughts about the new church lockdown orders spreading throughout the country? Um, obviously, I'm a pastor. Churches are where people gather together. It's what we do. It's who we are. So, obviously, I'm not thrilled about it. You know, it's not bad here. We have a governor who has... Uh, some common sense and an understanding of our constitutional rights to gather together as believers. Um, other states aren't so fortunate. I've got a lot of friends, uh, anonymous, who are in California who um, went through months and months and months of lockdown orders. Um, and when they were able to start moving back and then the virus peaked again, uh, the governor recently has issued, reissued an order to close down uh, churches, and they're defying it. And, you know, we don't know what the long-term results of that are going to be. So far, it's been two Sundays, and they haven't had any problems with the law, at least the pastors that I know. Um, but this is not a time for churches to close. You know, when you close the doors of the churches, for a lot of people, you're closing the doors of hope. One of the things that people don't understand, you know, it's it's the, the, the world that doesn't know Christ and marginal Christians as well and when I say that there are lukewarm Christians um, they don't understand the value of church it's not a part of who they are but for those of us who are really committed to our service for Christ for those of us who understand his heart for his church Jesus is here every day and the church is open Jesus is in the midst of his people and we understand that to have fellowship with Christ, we need to be here at church. Now, we've got all kinds of modern ways of, of listening to Bible studies and even listening to online worship, but it's not the same as being here. And what people who have a marginal view of church don't understand is that being isolated is not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. I'm a pastor. I've got people contacting me all the time uh, saying things like, Pastor, I, I haven't been doing very well in isolation. Instead of drawing closer to the Lord, I've fallen away from God. That's who we are. That's our human condition. And that's why the fellowship of the saints, the gathering together of the saints is so vital Iron sharpening iron. It's the word of God being taught and the Holy Spirit working on hearts. I can almost for sure say 
that when somebody's listening to a message online, they're not giving it the same level of attention as they are when they're here in person, and the Holy Spirit is working through His Word. So when we are closing the doors of churches, we're doing a disservice to the saved and the unsaved alike. We've got to be there for the people. And I think churches not only ought to be open, um, we're commanded to assemble together. So in other words, that's the best I can do with that. It is a tragedy what's happening in this country. Um, we're, we're, we're getting to that place, as, as you may know, we have a free school here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. This isn't at all tuition-driven, um, but, but the kids need to be back in school. Again, we live in a state where our governor and our attorney general has given us permission to begin school, in-person school again. The public schools aren't going to do that. They're going to be distance learning. They're going to be in a situation where there's no real learning going on. And here at Calvary Christian Academy, the kids need to be back together. They need to be back in school. We've got chapel every day. We've got people praying every day. Now, we're going to observe all the social distancing laws and all of that, but but they need to be here. And believe me, the kids want to be here. Well, in the same way, the people who are out of church for a long time, they're the ones that tell me how much they need to be here. We've got people that are sick. We don't want them to be here. You know, we understand that there is a legitimate reason for people not to come into a crowded room. When we talk to people, I said, look, I have to be here. I don't mean sick with the virus, but I mean physically they're compromised. They're in a dangerous category of people and for whom this virus could be deadly. And yet they've made an adult choice of their own free will. No, I have to be at church. They understand what's happening when they're away from the people of God, the house of God. It's really, really important. Anonymous, one more thought here I just had. You know, the thing that bothers me the most um, about the, the lockdown order spreading through the country is there is a big push. It's probably a couple of weeks now where governors and people have been really pushing it. Um, if you go to church, small groups or not, we're not going to let you sing because it's easier to spread this virus when people are singing. And they've actually convinced some pastors to stop worshiping God in song. How can we who are believers do that? I mean, if somebody comes to your door and says, look, you might get sick if you worship God, what are you going to say? A Christian is going to say, well, then I get sick worshiping God. But as for me, I cannot stop worshiping my Jesus. So anonymous, I hope that is what you were getting at. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Jack. He said, "What do you think about churches that refuse?" Oh, here's another similar question. I didn't see them together. What do you think about the churches that refuse to close during the life-threatening pandemic? It infuriates me, um, Jack. I, I'm sorry it infuriates you. I, I think there's some things in your life you really need to consider. Uh, what could possibly infuriate you about people getting together to worship their God, to practice their faith? I think churches that close are violating the Word of God. It's that simple. Now, I realize, again, I want to repeat this, that there are legitimate reasons people shouldn't be in church during a pandemic like this one. But for the rest of us, are we going to give in to fear? Are we going to be influenced by people like you, Jack, who want to determine how other people ought to live their lives? What if I was to say to you, Jack, I can't believe that you're drinking water. We're at stage one water restrictions. And I can't believe that you're drinking water. You'd say, well, I'm drinking water because it's life. How much more? the house of God. What you got to realize, Jack, is just because the church 
and fellowship with believers isn't important to you, it's as important as water is for survival to those of us who are in Christ. So chill out a little bit. Give people some space. They're going to make adult decisions just like you're making a decision of your own free will. And the rest of us, we need to have the the ability to make our own choices, considerate choices, considering the cost. Truth is, I wouldn't know how to live my life without the body of Christ. Wouldn't want to live my life without the body of Christ. So, I said earlier, my friends in California, they're defying the orders. After complying with them initially, when this all started back in the end of February and March. But the truth of the matter is, they're doing what they believe God wants them to do. That's really, really important. So, Jack, consider other people's perspective, a perspective that's not motivated by fear. David says, how can I respond to someone who says they were born gay? Um, David, this is obviously something that we deal with a lot uh, in the world that we live in now. Um, You ask somebody who's gay, well, um, when did you know you were gay? Well, I've always known it. I was born this way from my earliest memories. Well, um, nobody's born gay. Now, we live in a fallen world, and we all have a sin nature. And the effects of this fallen world on our sin nature is to pervert the plan of God for our sexuality. I understand and deal with often same-sex attraction. But just like I told Lucy when she called a few minutes ago, that when somebody is living together heterosexually, they're living together, they're having sex, they're not married, we're going to tell them that people who live this way, aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. The same thing is true of somebody who's same-sex attracted. You cannot be physically sexual with someone you're not married to and expect to go to heaven. And I would tell a heterosexual the same thing I'm going to say to you, David, about this person who says, well, I was born gay. Well, then you've got to reject your sexuality. It doesn't mean you've got to become heterosexual. Just you got to say no. Paul's question we had earlier, what does it mean to beat my flesh? You've got to say no to you. Basically, it boils down to a choice. Do I want to give in sexually to the lust of my flesh? Or do I want to go to heaven? And you can't have both. It's just that simple. So that's how I respond to them. Let me also, uh, David, give you a suggestion that maybe you can um, let this person um, um, have the opportunity to listen to. Uh, A lady named Jackie Hill Perry, uh, J-A-C-K-I-E, the last name is Hill-Perry, two last names. Um, I think uh, she was a a woman who says she's always been same-sex attracted. Um, was um, the dominant partner took the, taking on the male role in the black community um, with her sexuality and her relationships um, called the stud in the black community. Um, and then she met Jesus and she had to make a decision. What do I want? Now she's currently married and has two children. She is a powerful advocate, a reasonable advocate for saying no to yourself so that you can say yes to God. Uh, she has a very, very valuable um, internet ministry. She also appears in public and places. Uh, but this is a woman whose life was completely changed by God. Again, remember, the goal is not to make somebody who is homosexual heterosexual. The goal is to get them to understand that you can't have this and go to heaven And you have to make that choice while you're alive in this world. And if you willfully reject God who is the creator of sexuality, you willfully reject him, then the only response is to accept the fact that you're going to hell. Not because you're homosexual, but because you're in your sins. 
tough, tough message. People aren't going to like you. Uh, you will be attacked. But at the same time, um, David, you love people. you got to tell them the truth in love. So, David, I hope that answers your question. We're coming up to the end of the first half hour of our program. Um, we'd love to have your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We've got 30 minutes left in our show today. We'd love your live calls. This is The Word to Stand on for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. We have 30 minutes, so you better call quickly. Here's our first question from our email inbox from Kirby. How applicable is Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33 to what's going on with our nation today? Uh, I'm not going to read the whole proverb. I'll just sort of highlight it. But one of the things that we ought to do regularly is go into the treasure of wisdom that Proverbs is. It was written by the smartest man who's ever lived. I mean, you can take the, the Einsteins and the, the, the Stephen Hawkings and the Carl Sagans, and Solomon was wiser than anyone before him or anyone since. Um, verse 20 says, Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. Wisdom is God speaking to us. On the top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. And here's the wisdom. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will you mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Now, I don't have to go any further in this proverb than that. You want wisdom? Repent. Listen for the word of God. Let him speak to your heart. He will convict your conscience. That's the Holy Spirit's job of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And there's so much going on in this world now that has lost all meaning. All you have to do is find the answer in the Word. You know, I often say on this program that the answer to any question, every question that you'll ever have, is found in the Word of God, either specifically or in principle. Proverbs has the answers to those questions, if not specifically, always in principle. Repent at my rebuke. When you hear the voice of God speaking to your heart, what you're doing is wrong. Stop. Don't continue to mock God in sin. If you turn to him, he'll turn to you. If you seek him, you'll be found by him. But this is the whole thing. Listen to this. I'll read one more verse. Verse 24 in that proverb. He said, But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I will in turn laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Now, this isn't God mocking. This is wisdom mocking. You know, in, in, in human terms, we would say it like this. You know, I told you so. But the idea is we refuse to listen and we're demonstrating that we really don't have the wisdom that God has available to us. Thanks for the question, Kirby. Here's a, we've got Jim from San Antonio on line one. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks for the program, Pastor Ron. I appreciate your wisdom. Uh, a question about... Thanks, Jim. My pleasure. Oh, welcome. Got a question about uh, John chapter 15, verse 5. Uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He abides in me and I'm him. He bears much fruit. Or apart from me, you can do nothing. So I'm, I understand I'm saved by the blood of Christ. God gave me the faith to believe that. And the only favor I'll have is being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God gave me the faith to believe that. But I know in my head that's true, that apart from me, I can't do anything. 
But um, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm praying that I would have the faith to really believe that. Let me be honest. I, you know, I want to believe, but but suppose if I had to, my small group leader wanted me to, to share on on that chapter maybe with my small group because he couldn't be there. Now, I would prepare, you know, and I would pray, but I I I just I'll be honest with you. I probably wouldn't think I'm really desperate to to get help from the Lord in order to make a difference, you know, and, and for me to finish that study and when God sets fire to it, it would not burn up and be wood, hay, and stubble. So <laughs> I'm just looking at that. I wonder if you could give me any ideas of, like, obstacles to that. Uh, I know my pride is getting in the way and that, like, I, I really believe I can do it. I mean, I, I, I know I need him, but I, but I need to do my part, too, because God, God is going to, like, have me go to that group, and I'm going to say, well, I didn't do any study, and God's just going to have to guide me, you know, through his spirit as I'm there. You know, it sounds stupid. And uh, but it's kind of maybe just wondering, like, where's God's part? Where's my part? And um, I don't know if that's clear, but could you give me some thoughts on that? please? Yeah, it's, it's perfectly clear, Jim, and I can do that because I deal with the same thing. I do um, Bible studies uh, uh, Wednesday, I do Bible study Friday night, different books. I do three Bible studies typically on, on Sundays. Um, and, and here's the thing. I know what the Bible says. Now, I've been doing this for a long time. I know what the Bible says. I've got all of my commentaries written. They're on my computer. Uh, I could actually not do any work at all and do a Bible study that I think would be pretty good. But here's the problem. My job, your job, Jim, when you're standing before God's people, isn't to tell them what the result of your study is. Your responsibility to God, to them, to people, is to tell them what God wants them to hear. That's the wonderful thing about the Bible. It says of itself, it's living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And, and you know, we can, we, can, we can read it. We can teach it. Um, but remember, God has a message for the people that he loves in that Bible study. And so what I do at the uh, before I get up and teach, I do it. Uh, I have a Bible study tonight. I've been um, speaking to the Lord about this all day. Lord, uh, I don't want them to hear what I have studied. I don't want them to hear what I think. Lord, I want these people that you love, people that I love, I want them to hear what you have for them tonight. And so if I'm faithful, Jim, if you're faithful to do the study, to, 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 with due diligence, put in the work, you put the word in your heart, then before you get in the pulpit and before you get into the, the study group, you say, Lord, you bring out what you want them to hear. And see, that's what being led by the Spirit is. When I do three services on Sundays, Jim, it's the same notes, it's the same passage of Scripture. But Paula will tell you, because she's here every service, and she takes copious notes. Every service is different. And the reason the services are different is because there's different people. God has a different message. So as I'm opening myself up to the leading of the Spirit, then what's happening is that um, God is emphasizing different things. And all I have to do is be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, and God will do that work. You know, there are times in those three services where I'll think one was really bad, one was okay, one was pretty good kind of thing. And and it's it's not at all unusual for the one that I thought was no good at all to be the one that people will respond to the most. So that's what's really important. Now, you mentioned pride, Jim. This is important. When Jesus says, if a man remains in me, uh, another translation used the word abide. I like that better. And I in him, Jesus has promised never leave or forsake you, you will bear much fruit. If we're not abiding in Jesus, if we're not dependent, completely dependent on the Spirit, well, then we're not going to bear fruit. And that's a choice. Do I want a Bible study that will change people's lives, or do I want a Bible study that people say, wow, Pastor Ron, that was great. No, I want a Bible study that's going to change people's lives. And I think every one of us, we know it instinctively, although we repress that knowledge, we need to remember that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. That's why Paul, in Romans chapter 7, 
uh, I think, the most gifted man um, spiritually that's ever walked the face of the earth. He said in Romans chapter 7, uh, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. A wretched man that I am. You see, that's the kind of humility that we who are going to teach a Bible study or we who are going to be a good husband or a good employee, that's the kind of humility we need to understand. Every morning before I leave my house, I'm outside in the street, I look at this eastern sky, the sun coming up, and I tell Jesus that I need you. I extend my hand by faith. I say, Jesus, I take your hand in faith and I will not let go until you bless me. And then the next thing I say, Jim, is this. Lord, if I let go, I'm going to ruin everything. So please, Lord, keep me close. Now, that's not a false humility. I realize I'm going to be able to get through the day and I'm probably not going to do something really, really awful. But here's the truth. I know after 25 years of doing this, I know that in my flesh is nothing good. And I want to be, I need to be led by the Spirit. So Jim, this is a lot about humility, but it's a lot about really understanding our need to be connected to the power source every single day. Truth is, if you're not connected to that source, if you're not being led by the Spirit, what's going to happen every single day is that we're going to do something that we regret. We're going to say something that hurts somebody that we didn't intend to do. We're going to indulge our flesh. We're going to lose sight of Jesus in the process. And walking in the Spirit means that we're with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. I say it all the time. That's what it means to abide in Him. Be with Him. Hang out. So, Jim, I hope that helps. It's a struggle every single pastor goes through, every Bible teacher. Let's go to Jimmy on line two from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, sir. How are you doing? Well, Jimmy, how are you? Good. Uh, Marta and Tatiana are uh, cured. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Um, Lord. Were their symptoms minor? Yeah, I think like yours. They're just minor. Yeah. Like allergies. Yep. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, me and Martha went walking yesterday at uh, OP Park with the grandkids and my son. Good. That's our exercise. But I was going to ask you this (laughs) question. Okay, um, the sign of the beast, right? It's in Revelations Mm -hmm. chapter 13, 16, and through 18. He says, he also forced everyone, small, great, rich, and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is named of the beast of the number of his name. This, this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him call, calculate the number of the beast, for it is a man's number. His number is 666. Mm-hmm. So that comes after the rapture, right? Or yes, that's that's in the Great Tribulation. It is at the direction of the Antichrist, Jimmy, yeah. that uh, the mark is given. And th- and that mark has to be a permanent, like a tattoo, or it can't be just something they paint on your head, or it has to be a permanent something. So they're going to be. I think whoever's in the creator is going to be pretty sneaky about how they're going to do it. Yeah, actually, Jimmy, just the opposite is true. Um, to, to buy or sell. Now, now uh, it's generally assumed, and we don't have this given to us in Scripture, but it's generally assumed that this is going to be a chip. It's going to be a cashless society. It's going to be a chip. The, the back of the hand to the forehead is where the skin is thin, and you can scan, and, and that's that's how you'd pay for things. That, that's how you'd be able to go into a store. Imagine when, when this pandemic started, and the lines were so long. We live right across the street from an HEB, Paula and I do, and, and we could see the lines an hour or more before the stores opened starting to form. Imagine if you couldn't even walk into that store and get any of the things that you needed. I'm talking about vital things, water, food, um, in our case, in, in here, toilet paper. Um, you couldn't get any of those things without having that chip. 
and 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 people what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to sell their soul for the ability to survive day by day and when they take the mark of the beast it's not going to be something that's that's foisted upon them it's not going to be a surprise or a trick they know when they take the mark that this is an irretrievable commitment to devotion to the antichrist and to his agenda. We're blindly following men. Now think about what I just said. Blindly following men. Isn't that what we've been doing through this whole pandemic? Blindly following men who have no idea what they're talking about. They give updates. They give statistics. The statistics are skewed. And yet we take for, like the gospel, what they say. I mean, think about everybody's wearing masks now. It's mandated, and the push is extreme. Well, the guy who is in charge of infectious disease control in this country, Dr. Fauci, said at the beginning of this, once in February, once in March, that masks have no value. And all of a sudden now he's saying, no, no, you got to wear a mask, got to wear a mask. This is how we control this pandemic. My point is that if we're willing to buy that hook, line, and sinker, how much more in the Great Tribulation when just to survive to buy food, you've got to take the mark of the beast, and people are going to do it. And those who refuse the mark of the beast, they're going to end up being martyred for the faith. They will not take the mark because they know they're Christians. But, Jimmy, this is not anything that's, that's a trick. They're not surprised. I get calls about, well, the vaccine is going to be the mark of the beast. No, nobody has to worry about those things. When in the Great Tribulation, not now, but in the Great Tribulation, when people take the mark of the beast, it will be their way of saying, I belong to you. And they won't think they belong to Satan, but they will be devoted to the agenda of the Antichrist. Jimmy, thanks for calling, and I appreciate more than you know letting us know that your family is okay. Tell them we've been praying for them. God bless them. Good call. 340-9585. Here is a question from Angela. Why are the genealogies different in Matthew and Luke? Um, Angela, one of them is a genealogy of Mary. One of them is a genealogy of Joseph. Now, the reason Joseph's uh, genealogy is necessary is because in the ancient culture, it was patriarchal. The right to... um, access was given through the men, not the women. We know Joseph was not the father, but he had legal right. And that's why um, the Gospels have those two. So it's that simple. One is the, the, the gene- genealogy through Mary, uh, the mother of God, and the other was through Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, and, and he needed the legal right in order to justify where Jesus came from. Here is a question from Wendy. How does one practically draw near to God so he will draw near to me? You must have heard the question that we had uh, either late last week or earlier uh, this week, Wendy. Um, Somebody wanted me to go into detail about doing this. Um, But the way you practically draw near to God is just hang out with him, be with him. You know, I always picture this. Let me give you a a picture that maybe you'll make it clear um, when when Ronnie was born Ronnie is our older son when Ronnie was born uh, he would come into the bedroom early in the morning he you know he, he wanted to eat he'd come in and he'd get on top of his mother and he would take his fingers and kind of hold her eyes open say mom mom are you awake are you awake and she would say yeah I'm no-. well because he did that he drew near to her she always responded now, in that picture, the way I view it, Jesus is like Ronnie who would come to us and say, Hey, you awake, you awake. Jesus wants to come out with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to, 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 to share our lives. And all we have to do is respond. So Jesus is always there. It's not like we've got to beg him to come. It's not like we've got to beg him to get close. It's what he wants to do. So when we draw near to him, He's ready there to receive us, and it brings him great joy and great delight. 
So that's the way you do it. Wendy, when I get up, and I've said this before many times, and I'm not proud of this, uh, I'm not a really bright, cheery person. I'm married to one of those. And she's one of those that as soon as her eye opens, it's like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I'm not like that. I'm busy saying, ouch, and I'm busy trying to stretch, and I'm busy trying to crack my knees and and all those things. But I realize when when I get up out of the bed, I'm just sitting on the edge of the bed, getting ready to start my day, my first response is, Jesus, help. I need you. I'm inviting him to come in and take control of my life. Right from the beginning. I want to beat my flesh right from the beginning. And the only way I can do that is to draw near to the Lord. I need to do it so I have his power instead of trying to do it in my own power because I frankly don't have any power. So practically, it's the most practical thing you can do and it's something we ought to do all day, every day. We simply hang out with Jesus. Talk to him. Talk to him. Include him in your minute-by-minute conversation. Remember that he's right there, and because he's your friend, it would be rude to ignore your friend. So just talk to him. Always be aware of his presence. It will change the way you live your life. It will change the decisions that you make. And you will be able to enjoy the presence of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength, we're told. And then we're also told that in his presence is fullness of joy. And Wendy, I want the fullness of joy. The only way that can be is if I'm in his presence. So just be with him all day, every day. Good question. Michael says, um, how much time is there between this three series of judgment in the book of Revelation? Is there time enough to recover? Um, Michael, the way that the, and this is hard to explain, but the way that the judgments are laid out, um, when you get to the seventh judgment, um, first series of judgments, the seventh judgment is the next set of judgments. So imagine a scroll unrolling, and you break the first seal, the second seal, the third seal, the fourth seal, the sixth seal. Well, when you break the seventh seal, and all those judgments have a series of seven seals, that seventh seal is the next series of judgments. So we've got the, the, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, the vile, or, or the vile judgments. Um, and and when, when you get to them, they, they're all contained, so they're all concurrent. And remember, this is all going to happen, most of it, um, two-thirds of it, in the, in the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So there's not a, lo- a lot of time. And so the world is going to be constantly reading from these series of knockout punches. It's going to be overwhelming to the point where people want to die. And death will elude them. Imagine Jesus who has the power of life and death. No matter what you do, you, you try to kill yourself, shoot yourself in the brain, um, but, but Jesus won't let the Spirit leave. So you're going to see this kind of climate. You're going to see people hiding in caves from 100-pound hailstones, shaking their fist at God, knowing it's the wrath of the Lamb, but instead of repenting, shaking their fist at God. So all of that, Michael, is really and truly going to happen with staggering speed. And just when you think you got a knockout punch, here comes another one over and over and over. The, the water's turning to blood. The, the, the calamities upon all the fresh grass and the fresh waters and then the, the sea waters. Um, the, the, the economic calamity when, when um, the, the merchant ships, again, figurative speaking, speaking um, are destroyed and the world's economy comes crumbling down. So it's going to be one thing after another. Now for us, we ought to be able to understand that with the news that we're getting with the COVID virus. I mean, when we were in lockdown for nine weeks and then we started to get some good news, you know, the numbers are coming, going in the right direction. And we thought, wow, this is going to be over. But then all of a sudden it explodes again. And we're thinking, how much longer is this? I was sharing with somebody the other day that the Rose Parade canceled 
for the first time since World War II. The Rose Parade, that's January 1st, 2021. And they canceled it already. And so now we're thinking, oh no, is it going to be the rest of this year? Are we going to go into the next year? I mean, the truth is we're all tired of it. Well, how much more when the world is reeling from the constant judgment of God during the Great Tribulation? So, Michael, there's not much time at all. Um, it's not something anybody's going to survive. I mean, there are going to be some survivors, a few survivors of the Great Tribulation. Um, but then they're going to be plunged into the millennial reign where they're going to be forced to serve Christ whether they want to or not. So it's just one of those things where um, you just got to hunker down and bear it. I can't imagine. That's why Jesus said that we should pray that we would be counted worthy to escape those judgments that are going to come upon all of those who live on the face of the earth. Good question. Thank you very much, Michael. Hey, we're at the end of the program today. Three, four, I don't need to give you the phone number now, do I? You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Good news, Paula will be here live in person tomorrow on the date day edition of The Word to Stand In for Life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back with Paula tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.